What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here, back with another episode, and we're kicking off our FCS conference and team previews today with the Big Sky, man, one of the top conferences in the FCS, and I couldn't think of a better guest to have on with me than my guy Chris Hammond over here from FCS Fan Nation, Nation, man. Check out their YouTube channel. Just hit 1,000 subs. We want to get them to 2K as fast as possible, man, so make sure to go subscribe to their YouTube channel, man. But Chris, how are you, man, and let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wore my uh, Blue Bloods Big Sky Blue today for the preview. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Chris underscore P on Twitter. Uh, also, you can follow the FCS Fans Nation group. We got like 13,000, 14,000 members. Uh, just go on Facebook, FCS Fans Nation. And as that covered, we've got a, uh, a YouTube channel that has a bunch of different podcasts from all around the country, from national team to conference perspective. So uh, give us a check. and We'd love it if you, you know, hit the subscribe button. Hey, I'm a big fan myself, and I know the Facebook group is very, very popular, man. Always something going on in there, but we got to get to the season. And, you know, I've hopped on Sam Herter's podcast. I've heard across a lot of podcasts that a lot of people think it's a two-team race for the national championship this year. It's really North Dakota State and South Dakota State, and everyone else is kind of an afterthought. But for you looking at the big sky, I I know we'll probably talk about Montana, Montana State, Art. What is what is your list of Big Sky teams that are realistic contenders for the national championship this year? Montana, Montana State. Uh, I you know we have a lot of good top twenty five teams, and I think uh, possibly I think six are in it right now. The preseason for the stats, I think we probably get seven that flirt with it during the year. I could see whoever our probably because we'll probably have a surprise team like the Big Sky always does. That will somewhere fall in that ranks. And then like last year, you have a team like a Weber state that falls out of it for a bit and maybe climbs back in. Uh, so I think about seven teams uh, in the big sky could possibly be ranked, but you're talking who are realistic semifinal or specifically final contenders, depending on how the bracket, you know, shapes itself out on seating. Um, you know, you're getting Montana, Montana state, basically whichever one of them probably doesn't get thrown on the side of the bracket with NDSU. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of I'll second that. I think I think Montana for me is a little bit stronger candidate. I know it's been very interesting to look at the polls because I think some people are very high on Montana State or Montana and not really both of them. They really have a preference there. And for me, I look at Montana as a little bit stronger just because, man, they are returning some studs on that defensive side, man. Justin Ford, in my opinion has a really good argument to be the best defensive back in the country right now at the FCS level. And then you also get Patrick O'Connell coming back, um, Walter, uh, not Walter Payton, a Buck Buchanan Award finalist. You get, you know, uh, Robbie Hawk coming back as well. That defensive line has some pretty good guys coming back. And I think this is the next topic I wanted to talk about. Isaiah Afonzi is a big piece to Montana State's puzzle. It came out in spring practice that he could miss – some time early in the season. I know they opened the season with McNeese State. I think they still could, they're still probably going to win that game even without him. But how much do you think his injury impacts the projections for Montana State? Um, you know, it, it's hard to replace a guy like Isaiah Fonse. He uh, is the preseason, you know, offensive player of the year, um, and a guy that's absolutely a stud uh, for the Big Sky Conference. That said, he's he's dealt with injuries his entire career at Montana State. And I'm not saying it's an easy person to replace because it by no means is. But I think if you kind of look at what Montana State has focused on in the offseason, because you're right, they, he did have offseason surgery. Uh, he's considered like month to month, not even day to day. Like they don't know if he'll be available in the first month, second month. Um, I'm assuming at some point during the season, but we don't even really have confirmation on that. 
But you look at it, they bring in a transfer from San Diego State, Kagan Williams, uh, who, you know, that's probably who they're going to lean on a lot. In their spring game, they actually had three different guys score touchdowns, so they've been working out how, how to add a little bit of depth in that running back room. Uh, a major one would be Elijah Elliott. He played in 14 games last year, uh, also was the fourth leading rusher on the team. So that's a younger guy. He's going to be a true sophomore that, you know, pending he gets hurt, you still have that four-game red shirt, depending on when it happens. A guy that will probably be around this program for a while that I think they really, really like headed into the fall. Um, so I think you look at it, and they have made it a point of interest to add running back depth. Because what we've been saying about this team forever was they were a quarterback away from being a championship team. It appears they get that. It took them all season um, to figure out it's Tommy Malott. And they finally get him. You only see what he does in four games. But in that four games, they go from a good playoff team to a national title contender. He goes down in the championship game. I don't think it mattered as much because, really, Montana State's defense is what was killing him in that game. They could not get NDSU off the field. So Tommy Mallott or not uh, didn't help. But I, I think you look at this team, I think with Tommy Mallott coming back and some of the depth they've added in the running back room, uh, I, I think the Isaiah Fonse injury is just – if he's not able to play in the playoffs, they probably won't make the title this year. But I still think they're a top-fledged uh, Big Sky team. And I think they definitely – they won't miss him as much as I think maybe the narrative is. Uh, I think it just takes him from a title contender to just, you know, one of the probably top six programs in the nation. Yeah, I, I like that. And I wonder, you know, for me, you know, Tommy Millat also coming off an injury, but I, he looks like he's all but healed up and going to be ready to start the season. I wonder how much of a role they're going to put on him because we saw that he can do it with his legs, man. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no question. One of the most athletic guys really burst onto the scene. So I had a lot of people on my show when the transfer happened and they announced Millat was going to take the starting job. Not a lot of people knew who he was, and they kind of really and truly wrote Montana State off. In the playoffs, they were like, I, I don't see this team really making it very far. And he came out and put on a show against, I believe it was UT Martin was one of their first games. And I mean, he yeah. rushed like 180 yards and had a put on an amazing, amazing performance. So I think if you don't have Malad at the quarterback spot and you don't have that kind of dual threat, you know, system that they can run and you have a quarterback who, no, without question, if let's say Afonso misses three games, I wouldn't be surprised if Malad was the leading rusher for that team. Yeah. After those three games. And if you have a pocket style quarterback, I think it's a bigger loss. But I, I don't want to understate how good I do think Afonzi is. I think right now he's probably the consensus number one or maybe with Davis over at South Dakota State, one of the consensus, you know, top running backs in the country. But that's a big that was a big thing. And another position that has a lot of question marks. And I know a lot of Eastern Washington fans aren't worried because they've had to replace great quarterbacks in the past, but what what are your expectations for Eastern Washington without Eric Berrier at the quarterback spot? So this feels like a trap, right? Because the obvious <laughs> answer is how do you replace a guy like Eric Berrier? But uh, I think Coach Best actually phrased this up when he was talking about the loss of offensive linemen, but it's kind of the same with quarterback position. How do you replace – he's like, just go down the list of all Big Sky, all Americans. And he goes, you don't replace, you reload. And he basically goes, yeah no one's going to be that exact player. They're not going to get another Eric Berrier, right? Like, even though he and Vernon Adams are very similar, they're very different as well. But exactly, like, how are we ever going to get somebody better than Vernon Adams? I'm not saying Eric Berrier was, but they get somebody that's comparable to him. And even before him, people forget that Gage Gubrud, who he ended up taking the job from when he got hurt, was also setting records, and I believe holds, like, the single-game passing yards or touchdown record, something at Eastern. Like, he was setting records at Eastern 
and he gets replaced by Eric Berry. So it is one of those programs where it is more of a reload than a retool. There was a spring going uh, in the spring. There was like a best quarterbacks in the big sky poll going on. And I think the final like eight were all Eastern Washington guys, maybe seven. And I think uh, uh, skipping his name, but the Montana guy in the hall of fame, um, he was oh, like the um, other one that made it. Yeah. So you're looking at seven of the eight finalists uh, end up making the, like the poll for Eastern Washington. So, you know, I don't want to say they're going to take a step back without Eric Berrier, but the one thing I think to keep in mind here is the fact that this is really the first time uh, we're going to see what an Aaron best headed coach, you know, can recruit a quarterback. I know he was, instrumental uh, as the offense coordinator and offensive line and as a recruiting person to bring in guys like Eric and Vernon when he was under Bo Baldwin. But this is the first time, you know, he's less involved in recruiting. He's the head honcho and they're going to have to find their quarterback without him involved in that. So that's what I think will be interesting to see if a Aaron best led coaching staff can find a quarterback to replace it. Cause the Bo Baldwin ones who brought in Barry and such obviously had no problem retooling. So that will be kind of the story to watch there. Uh, if there's a program that do it at Eastern Washington who doesn't want to play in that offensive system. Um, but it will be interesting to see what Eastern Washington looks like without Eric Berry. I, I think they'll probably take a smaller step back for them. That's being a top 20 team instead of a top 10 team. I ex- solely expect them to make the playoffs unless they really can't work some things out, which uh, is a big question mark because a lot of the success they've had recently has been with, you know, Bo Baldwin guys, um, but also I think you see some of the younger guys that have come up, and it's not like Aaron Best and their staff has been slacking on the reloading front. So I don't expect a major drop-off from Eastern Washington, uh, but it is a story to watch that this, I think Gunnar Talkington's kind of the leader in the clubhouse. It's still a Bo Baldwin guy, but it's like, uh, what's the depth behind him? And is it he, you know, who's been a career, basically third, second stringer his entire life, um, is there just nobody better on this roster to push him? Or is he just that good that he can never push past that Eric Berrier, but it's significantly better than everybody else on that roster. So a, a lot to watch at QB1 yeah. for, for the Eagles. I mean, it's really – I don't think anyone expected him to push Berrier much. I think – I mean, if you had to look at quarterback jobs, him and Cole Kelly had – I mean, it didn't matter what they went out there and did. They are never going to relinquish that job. I think the quarterback coming in, the, whoever ends up winning the job, I do agree – that, uh, that, that, you know, there's a strong leader in the clubhouse. But you look at Freddie Robertson, Efton Chisholm, uh, even Justice Jackson at the running back spot. All those guys were big contributors for that team last season. And for me, looking at the roster makeup of the team, I know this is not the narrative that's usually behind Eastern Washington. I think this team's defense could be really good next year. They've made huge strides on defense. Amazing. Best. Like that yeah. is, if you're looking at the difference between Bo Baldwin and Aaron Best, Best has really solidified the defense. Where some, uh, I'm not saying every defensive player they ever got, right? Because Eastern fans can be a little touchy about some things. I'm not saying every defense they've ever had was soft, but they definitely have some of their strongest defenses under best. In fact, I would say all of their defenses have basically been better than any of Bo Baldwin's sub maybe one or two in that like national title run. Yeah, I mean, the defensive line for me, Mitchell Johnson, Joshua Jerome are going to be in my opinion, some of the best defensive linemen in the in the conference. And then on top of that, the secondary, I feel like, 
is being overlooked because they were very young last, coming into last season. And they went out and got, I believe, I'm blanking on the guy's name. They got, a, a, I think it's Alfonsi, the four-star for Washington State, to come in to add some depth at the corner spot. He's like 6'4", runs like a 4'4", four, 4'5". Four, four, I mean, the kid can play looking at his film. And they also um, return, I believe, both starting safeties from last season, too. I really do think that Eastern Washington, shockingly, could have the defense to really help their offense out early as it as it they really try to find some rhythm because I don't care how good your replacement is replacing a quarterback like a barrier like a Cole Kelly like even incarnate word trying to place a Cameron Ward to replace a guy who was that good for that long I, it's really tough regardless of who you have stepping in and so I think the expectations are are really mixed I think you um, even when you did your show looking at all the different rankings I mean Eastern Washington I saw them as high as like 10 and as low as like 25 in some mm. of the polls that were released. So a lot of people don't know where to put them because I think a lot of people, especially not analysts in the FCS, but fans who might root for their favorite team or just kind of halfway pay attention. Eric Barrier was Eastern Washington to a lot of, yeah. to a lot of people. And so I'm really interested to see. And then week one, they, they do not have an easy game. I, I would warn fans, do not let the record fool you. Tennessee State is not Tennessee State from last season. That team yep. is going to come in with Draylon Ellis coming in at quarterback, former um, OVC Offensive Player of the Year. They got they got All American running back and wide receiver, or All Conference running back and wide receiver. They have three All Conference guys on the D line now. Now that they added Terrell Allen, four star linebacker Kavon Pope comes in. I mean, listen, we're gonna I think we're gonna find out a lot about Eastern Washington Week One, and I think there we'll really f- figure out if you know. Barrier's loss was as big as a lot of people are looking at it as. Yeah, and the Eastern Washington, I think part of the reason you see this with the polls, like the uncertainty, is they usually come out kind of slow. Not slow in the sense that they're not good. Slow in the sense that they definitely don't shy away from challenging schedules. Um, They usually play a top-flight FCS team if they can find anybody to do it. They did it with Jacksonville State at home and home before Jacksonville State did not return the favor. Um, but they, they do – they're playing North Dakota State in a couple of years. Like, they go out and try to challenge themselves at an FCS level. Now, you mentioned Tennessee State. When they booked this, probably wasn't the challenge they thought it was going to be, but it's definitely going to be more of so on. I'd still probably take Eastern in that game, but it's no, by no means a cakewalk game. They usually get stuck scheduling, like, Central Washington or somebody just so they can get a home game because they do have some athletic woe or budget woes, which leads to them not being able to necessarily pay an FCS team to go, which is why they rely heavily – on those home and homes. Uh, and then, yeah, they usually play a big time FBS team, usually Pac-12. I know last year was Mountain West, but, um, and they usually are competitive in those games. You know, they've almost beat UW. They've beaten Washington State. They've beaten or gotten close to beating Oregon State, and they just beat UNLV. So um, yeah. they challenge themselves, but they do lose some of those games. So it's not uncommon for Eastern to come into conference play of one and two, 0 and 3, and then a lot of people having them at like the 20 rank because they're 0 and 3. But then you look at you put any other team sub NDSU in that same schedule, they probably have that exact same record. So uh, it's a whole other side story on why top 25s at the beginning of the year are so difficult. It's because you can't judge like Eastern being 0 and 3 when they play like Oregon, Tennessee State, and you know Nevada, and then you have like Montana who's playing like. Drake Butler, and, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, of course, Montana's set their schedule up to be three and oh, Eastern has set their schedule up to be oh and three because the power dynamics in the conference of Montana can make money without money games, Eastern can't. Um, yeah, so I, I expect them to probably 
be towards the twenties by the time conference team conference season starts, but they'll like every year they'll climb high. But I think that's part of the reason people really struggle to figure out where to put Eastern um, because you could go where I actually think they are in terms of value, where I actually think they'll finish or, you know, how I think my poll is going to look in four weeks when somebody's just looking back. So um, they're a tough team to place, but they're also a, a good team. I mean, they're, yeah. like I said, I think they're top 20. Yeah, I, I still think they're a playoff team. I think, like you said, unless something catastrophic happens in terms of injuries or that team just doesn't click like any like anyone thinks they might, I mean, I, I don't see that team missing the playoffs. I think yeah. they have one of the longest streaks, right? If I'm, I think FCS yeah. Stats posted today, they have a streak of, uh, I forgot however many playoff appearances, and it's like top five right now. Wow, that's weird. Because they kind of go through this uh, run where they make the title game. Cause I think they missed in 19. Maybe I think it they might not have run where they go to the title game and then they miss. Um, but either way, I mean, they are a constant, like we talked about on the Blue Bloods episode you do with me. Um, they're, they're a top 10 program at the FCS level currently. Uh, like you expect them to be there each and every year. And I do think maybe we could see a little bit of what happened with Montana State when we're talking about the Eagles. I think Gunnar Talkington, just being kind of the guy who's been around the program the longest, which is weird to say with COVID because – a lot of these guys have been around the program longer than it states on the website. Um, Trey Turner's a guy I know they've been high on for a while uh, at the quarterback position. I could see him possibly taking over midseason if they are having struggles at quarterback and almost having a Tommy Mallott effect where I've heard from practice he's a guy that have a lot of hopes in, but he's not necessarily delivering on those expectations in practice. He could be a game guy. Like this is a guy where you might throw him in a game because – uh, talking to gets hurt or something or just isn't performing. Um, and he could show out and pro that show that he's a live action kind of guy. So I'd say uh, another thing to keep in mind here is like, I think Trey Turner could be that guy that at the end of the season, maybe gets the Eagles into a higher gear where they can make a deeper run in the playoffs. Then maybe it looks like they would have made about halfway through the season. And I found the stat. It was winning season. So Eastern Washington okay. has the longest streak of winning seasons in the FCS at 15. Of course, North Dakota State, Sam Houston second with 12. And North Dakota State really ain't been here that long. San Diego, uh, South Dakota State, and Montana are the next on the list. So that's what I was thinking of. They have a long history, yeah. the longest streak Which, in the FCS right it, now. It goes to show how good all those programs are when you're – considered a bad season when you're six and five right i know that was a big talking point for james madison for a long time was like yeah they're bad years or six and five and that's i guess the show of a successful program montana fires their coaches if they only win seven games um, then you have programs that would pay a lot of money for a coach that would win them seven games so um yeah. it's different to see the power dynamics of the fcs even in one of the larger conferences like the big sky um some schools northern arizona idaho you know, been okay with four or five wins. Montana fires coaches with seven. So it's crazy. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a different world in some of these programs, man. But looking at, I'll pull up the preseason polls as well for everybody. Looking at these predictions right now, man, who are, who are your sleeper teams in the big sky that, you know, might not be a top five team right now, but you could see sneaking up into that top five, top three range by the end of the season. Yeah, so we got a lot of new coaches, so I'm not going to rule out some of the new guys. Um, like, obviously, I'd love to see Idaho do it. We'll talk about Idaho more. Uh, Idaho mm -hmm. State has a lot more work I think they have to do, so I'm not sure they can surprise. But you look, like, 
the I think it was like six of the last seven conference titles have been at least shared by a team that was outside of the top five uh, in the big sky. So if you're looking at that, I'm going to include Eastern in this. So you're looking through that seven through 12 mark. Um, I actually really like Cal Poly. Uh, and anybody that's been following, you know, my takes on the internet for a while, I was one of the few people when they made that hire that first season who was like, yo, they're not going to be that good. Like he is trying to take a triple option team and turn it into basically his spread, uh, system. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to be that good. And I was like the only, one of the few people saying like, yo, Cal Poly is not going to be an instant turnaround. It's going to take some time. That's it. I'm a big believer in the third year of a coach. I think the third year is where you kind of see what it is and Bo Baldwin will be entering his third season. I think this is where we're going to see them really take that next step. I don't, I don't think they'll win the conference title, but as you mentioned, maybe finish in that top three, like a Sac State has kind of become, or a UC Davis, who are perennial bottom dwellers until they made the hires of Dan Hawkins and Troy Taylor, and then all of a sudden skyrocket up within one or two seasons. I think you look at Bo Baldwin, he's 2-12 and 12 in his first two seasons at the helm, but he's still 97-47 and 47 overall, fighting the head coach of three separate programs in his third season with Eastern Washington coming off. Yes. Some winning seasons of six and five and eight and four, but as we covered for Eastern Washington are kind of meh. I mean, that was during the buildup. So like people are probably still happy with it. Third season, he goes 13 and two and wins the national title in 2010. So if I'm going to put my faith in one team outside the top six, I'm going to go with Cal Poly. I think Bo Baldwin has got his guys in. They've been huge on trying to get a quarterback through the transfer portal uh, and the recruiting ranks through the high schools. And I think this is that season where it's his third season. This is where you're going to see the most improvement from the, the Cal Poly Mustangs. And if I was going to say my sleeper team, uh, I, I'm going to go with Cal Poly in the big sky. I, I, I think Northern Colorado is kind of a, a hot mess right now. I know like you're looking at the same kind of thing there with Ed McCaffrey, third season. Um, but they've had so much out where Cal Poly has been the opposite. They've had so much come in. Now, maybe all that out was good in Northern Colorado surprises some people, um, but Cal Poly's won. And then if you just want like a second kind of sneaky pick, if you ask Bobby Hauker, half of the Montana media, because they have a love crush on Bruce Barnum, uh, they do have high recruiting classes because they do get a port, like recruit the Vancouver, Portland area. And yes, they usually have one of the top classes in the FCS. Barnum has been there for multiple seasons and this team has only been good one year. So I don't have the faith in them, but I'm sure if you talk to some Montana media or Bobby Houck, uh, they would tell you Portland State's the team to watch out for this year. And Bobby Houck's usually always saying they're a, they're a top contender in the big sky. They never are, but uh, maybe this year they are. So I'll give you Portland State, Cal Poly. Um, that's kind of my two sleeper teams to at least keep your eye on outside the top six that could finish you know, in the top four. You know, I, I don't mind. Like, I would say my two. I, you probably had my second one. I think we kind of agree that Portland State is probably that default second pick. I feel like they got some good talent on the team in certain spots. The problem is consistency and do they have the overall depth to really go toe-to-toe with some of those top teams. So I think if you're talking about them breaking into the top three, something like that, they're going to have to pull off some really big upsets this year and really show some major improvement. I think especially at the quarterback spot, you've yeah. got to have a, you've got to have that guy at quarterback to, I think, in my opinion, go win the big sky. And, you know, Bo Kelly at wide receiver is somebody I really like for Huge. Portland State. 
And on the defense, man, Anthony Adams, I don't think I, – I know he gets his respect on the, on the you know, all the American teams, all conference teams, but I don't think the average fan really realizes how good Anthony Adams is in the secondary. Yeah. Everywhere, you convince, man. You have to convince some big sky people when you're filling out like your all-conference team because it's just Portland State is one of those programs that just kind of gets looked over. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I agree with you. Portland State is – they're loaded with talent. Uh, like, there's – I went to the game, uh, Camus or Union High School has become this huge powerhouse in Washington State football, uh, but they're out of Camus, Washington, which is, for those of you not familiar with Northwest Geography, it's just across the Columbia River from Portland, so it's basically Portland North, but different state. Um, they won the state title like three years in a row. Uh, I got to watch it twice, and you got guys from that high school, like at wide receiver Darian Chase. Um, Jojo Ciafelli is a running back. I think it's going to take a huge step forward this year. And then they had, um, I think his name was Victor something ended up being like, he was a four-star prospect until like the very end. And I think he dropped down to a three-star committed to Nebraska as an athlete. I think they tried him out a little at quarterback, a little bit at running back and a little bit wide receiver. He's transferred back to Portland state last season, but you know, this is going to be his first season really under the system. I expect him to take a huge leap forward. So you're not wrong in the fact that they get a lot of guys from like, uh, Portland Jesuit, you get a lot of people from Camus and Union, which are two powerhouse programs in Washington now that are beating the Seattle programs like Rainier Beach and Lake Stevens and Bellevue, which is where Isaiah Fonse is from. So, like, they're playing 4A football, which is the top flight in Washington and winning, and these kids are going to Portland State. Um, problem is I just haven't seen them capitalize yeah. on any of it, which is why I go, like, pump the brakes a little bit. Um, on Portland State every year, but you're right. They they might have the most talented roster in the entire Big Sky. So I don't know if it's coaching or just buy-in or the fact that their home games are away games because they have to drive to Hillsboro. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It, it's a program with a ton of promise and a ton of talent that just other outside of one miraculous season has never really seemed to capitalize on it. Yeah, I'm excited. I know in the JUCO route, too, they have some JUCO guys that have really turned out. I know VJ Mallow on the defensive line was out of the JUCO circuit in California, and he was one of the top newcomers last year, had a bunch of sacks, a bunch of tackles for loss. But if I had to pick one, I guess it's kind of – I mean, there's seven. But I think Northern Arizona is a team that if they can get it rolling, could be a scary team to see midway through the season. I know they got the FBS win last year in impressive fashion. And I, I really do think RJ Martinez is a little bit overlooked as a quarterback. And I think he has the athleticism to really be special if he can put it together. Also like Kevin Daniels at the running back spot for them. The question for me is, is do they have the talent on the defensive side of the ball? Because when you look at some of those top teams in a Montana Montana State with a lot of guys returning. Sacramento State uh, brought in a lot of guys as well on the defense side of the football. Do they have the defense to really go up against the top teams in the conference? And that's kind of my reservation for them. But I wouldn't be surprised if Northern Arizona ended up finishing above Eastern Washington if things don't work out. UC Davis potentially. Weber, I think, is another team that I think you talked on your top 25. So a lot of people are wondering where to put them. I mean, if Northern Arizona went out there and finished fourth, I don't, I don't know if I'd be the most shocked person in the world. Yeah, they really – the thing that I think gets forgotten about Weaver is that they were being considered going into the 2020 season, a possible national title contender. Um, they still have that quarterback. Yes, he's also yeah. dealt with his own share of injuries in Bronson Barron. But the thing that I think gets passed over is they went out and challenged themselves last year. And, yes, they did 
fail at it. They did end the season in the top 25, but uh, they played James Madison. You know, they played Utah. They they were not afraid to be like, yo, this is our chance of being a national title contender. Let's iron sharpen iron as much as possible. They didn't get enough of those games. They showed that maybe they aren't a national title contender. That said, we said this year there's probably only two out of the big sky. I still think they could easily finish third in this conference. I think Weber State's a team a lot of people are sleeping on because they did have a bad year last year, but they forget that they also were a winning record, a, a top 25 type program with backup quarterback the entire season. So I think Weber is a team that's being slept on, but you know, I'm not going to include them in my sleeper teams just because like, yeah, they were picked four. <laughs> <laughs> They're still the coaches, the media and the big sky still respect them. Uh, maybe not enough. So to put them back up where at one point they won four straight conference titles or three, four, it you was know, four out because they won 2017 through 2020, if I'm not mistaken, yep, right? I think, yep, you're, you are correct. So it's like they won four in a row. So you're not dumb to put them at like first or second because history would tell you for the last five years, you know, they've gotten a share of the title. So I, I wouldn't be sleeping on on, on Weber. And uh, NAU, you're right. I think NAU has some of the best wide receiver talent in the big sky. I mean, Eastern obviously has maybe more dudes in terms of yeah. top flight dudes. Uh, I love what NAU brings back. Um, it's just going to come down, like you said, can RJ Martinez get him the ball? Yeah, that, that's a big thing. I, his his he's Tommy Malott, I think, without as much proven arm talent. Because Malott did go out there, so I believe it was the Sam Houston game where he put on a show through the air against a really good defensive team in Sam Houston State. I don't think you've seen that from RJ Mar- Martinez yet. And for Weber, I, I, I do agree with you because I think they also returned Dante McMillan at the running back spot, who was their leading rusher. And Todd McPherson, I believe, comes back at the wide receiver spot for them. And Eddie Heckard is a stud yeah. at, at the defensive back spot for them. So I do agree because I had Weber, I think, 24th in my, my poll that I submitted. Um, and I, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if they jump into the top 20 either. I, I think the big sky is, is deeper than I think some people outside of the area really consider. Because I've talked to some fans of other conferences, and they really just kind of look at the Montana, Montana states, and I don't yeah. think they understand how good some of these other teams are. Oh, and I've always put it this way. I mean, yes, the Missouri Valley is kind of the measuring stick at the moment because um, the CAA is taking a drop off. The SOCONs trying to figure out what they're doing. The Southland's going to yeah. pick apart. But, like, I'll take, for instance – our sixth place team, Northern Arizona, against the Missouri Valley sixth place team, right? Missouri Valley, I think if you look at it, North Dakota, South Dakota State, yeah. Southern Illinois recently, um, once again, a lot of that's coaching. Missouri State, a lot of that's coaching. They've been terrible before Bobby Petrino got there. And if history is any teller, you know, those who don't learn it are doomed to repeat it. Probably his last year there. He's probably going to bounce. Name me one team when Bobby Petrino left the next season, they were even remotely close to what they were. He leaves, he gives you the ultimate glory while burning down everything after he leaves. Um, So Missouri State can enjoy it while it's there. But I'll take Northern Arizona, Idaho, Portland State over like, you know, Western Illinois, Youngstown, North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, So I I know it's those teams get picked up. It's kind of like the SEC because Alabama is in that conference, right? Yeah, they play NDSU every year. You beat them, you're almost guaranteed to be a top 25 team, depending on, you know, how whatever other games you lose because you beat NDSU. And you lose to NDSU and you only move down one or two spots because it's NDSU. Nobody expected you to win. So I think the Missouri Valley gets a little bit of that. I don't want to say bias, right? But it's just the way that perception works. 
uh, where I would say I'll take Eastern Washington first, you know, the Missouri Valley's five. So, uh, which is probably Northern Iowa. So yeah, every yeah. day of the week, I'll take the Eagles over Northern Iowa this season. So I agree. I think it's deep. I think it's as deep as the Missouri Valley. The only difference is their top two are better than our top two. And I think that's yeah. the main difference, but deepness, Oh, I'll take Idaho state over Western Illinois, honestly. Like <laughs> I'll take our worst team versus their worst team. And I, I still think they got a, a fair shake at it. If not, they're going to win it. So the Leatherneck fans are going to be real upset with you on that one. Um, they're, they're coming for you, but next time I'm in Macomb, Illinois, I'll yeah. make sure to tweet at them where I'm at so they can come tell me in person. Exactly. <laughs> Tell them to meet you in Frisco. Come, come, come watch, you know, one of the Dakota schools play a big sky school. But man, <laughs> predictions here. But first, before we get into your official, I'm just going to give you I'm just going to let you give me your top three. The first question I have about these predictions is I, ha- I was reached out to by a beat writer for Sac State. And his question to me was, why do I think Sac State is being overlooked going into this season? Now, there are second in these polls, which are the conference polls, but they're really kind of. You know, I've seen them as high as, I believe, six. That's where I had them in my poll. And I've seen them outside the top ten in some other polls. So for you, why do you think Sacramento State, who, you know, is coming is coming back? They got nine starters on the offensive side of the ball coming back. A lot of that defense coming back. Why aren't they being looked at as a realistic contender for the national title and or the Big Sky title again? Well, national title is easy. They've won the Big Sky now twice and got knocked out of the playoffs extremely early. It, yeah. Like, you, you can't be viewed as a national title contender until you contend nationally, and they just they have not done that. That's why I would say, in terms of national perception, that's why Sac State doesn't get the love. It is a little bit of when you think Big Sky, you think Montana, Montana State, Eastern. Recently, Weber has kind of creeped into that. But I think it's the same thing that plagues their rival across the, uh, the causeway, UC Davis. Been a constantly good program. I think they finished the season ranked 10th last year. Most people have them ranked 25, and they don't lose that much. They actually have the returning, you know, Alonzo Gilliam, who won, like, the best player in the Big Sky Award for preseason. So um, I think it's a similar perception that they're the two California schools in the Big Sky, and they don't get the love. A lot of the Big Sky media is out of Montana, so those schools get the love. Um, As far as in conference, I mean, yeah, you know it. They have a lot of returners back, including two quarterback systems, like, it's going to be hard to convince anybody that the two quarterback system is going to work. I think anybody with eyes can tell you Jake Dunaway is the answer and that's who they should be going with. But um, until they do that, they'll probably still get a share of the title because they do. They're actually the first outright title winner in a long time recently. And you know they're, they're that team. That I think people sleep on every year. Cause like, they're just, I was going to make the joke when you said it, there's a Sac state beat reporter. Like, We've tried, yeah. uh, as part of the Big Sky Podcast Network, to bring in Sac State forever. And it's one of those f- schools that just – we found one guy who was, like, interested. So I just don't think you hear about them enough. And unless you hear about something, it doesn't come to perspective. Um, I think that's why you see, like, the coaches have them ranked higher than the media does because the coaches obviously are like, oh, I have to play Sac State. They're really good. Where the media is like – Oh, you know, Montana, Montana State, obviously. I think anybody could have would have bet a condo that those two would be one and two in the media poll. When those two teams are even remotely decent, they both get ranked way higher than they deserve. Not this year, obviously, but usually because, I mean, they are like Texas and Texas A&M, right? Like Montana is Texas. They're back. And every year they're back and they get first place votes. Um, and then they don't win the conference. Uh, it is funny. Yeah. But, yeah, when you think about it, 
Sac State's won the conference twice. The last Montana school to win the conference, I think, was Montana State in, like, 2013. So it's yeah. almost been a decade since either of the Montana schools have won a conference title. Yet Sac State, Portland State, Southern Utah, um, you know, have won the titles in these times. So Weber. So it is crazy yeah. when you think about how upside down the big sky has been in the last decade, um, which is what I think is some media members just haven't made that switch that teams like Davis, teams like Sac State, teams even like Weber are good, and it's not just Montana's conference anymore. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. And that's, you know, perception drives everything. I think that's why you see a lot of, you know, the especially with media, media polls, like you were saying, like if, if the media is not hearing about you, because there's voters, you know, looking at the FCS stats, I mean, there's voters from – Florida all the way up to Washington, and those, I mean, how many people in the South are really watching Sac State football and know what that team's bringing back? I mean, there's probably fans who are going to watch this episode. We have a a large portion of like Southern fans on our on our show that probably didn't know Sac State ran a two quarterback system, and yeah. so I mean, it, it it's it's bad. But you know, looking at last year, how much would a, how much would have that helped Sac State to beat South Dakota State last year? They they lost by I think what five. Yeah, it was uh, in that game. Yeah, yeah, it was a muggy, weird. Yeah, it was a weird <laughs> game. I, I, yeah. I don't know. It, it's one of those games, like you, you know, you always hear about the legendary games that keep you on the edge of your seat. That game to me just seemed to drag on, man. I mean, yeah. that, that game, I and didn't even feel comfortable watching game. it. But like, right, like yeah. if you looked at the box score, you're like, wow, what a game! But watching that, it felt like you were watching almost like game tape. Like, yeah, <laughs> everything was slowed down so like so it could circle out. Like, oh, this is where this block was missed, and you need to hit like. If anyone that's played the sport and watched film, that's what it felt like was you were watching this in a slowed down chunk segment and the game felt like it was five hours of film study instead of a two and a half hour game. Um, so yeah, that was weird. It would have done a lot because South Coast State has become a national brand. They are little brother to the bison and they suffer with their own inner demons with that. But in terms of national perspective, it, it would have been huge for Sac State to get a playoff win against a team that was just in the national title, a team that's number two in the preseason this year. Can you imagine? We, we talked about the difference. South Dakota State probably still would have been picked number two because Mark Gronowski is coming back. So now South, uh, Sac State could be talking about, we actually beat the number two team in the preseason poll in the playoffs last year. Where's our respect? The issue mm-hmm. is they lost to them, and now they're sitting here going, where's our respect? They're still getting top 10, top 15 votes. And they're upset about it. And that's where I'm going like, hey, maybe the britches are getting a little high in Sacramento. Um, and then you go enjoy a couple more tacos and margarita at Cantina Alley and just relax for a bit and let the season play out. Because right now they're acting like they're in Montana and they have history and prestige to fall back on. And realistically, they are an upstart big sky program that has done nothing to deserve the respect except the last two years. And in the playoffs, as far as national perception is, they haven't done anything. So yeah. they they have some business to take care of this year. A semifinal appearance would do a lot for that program. And just low-key plug to them. They have some of the best digital media people, uh, at yes. least last season. I hope they're back in the entire FCS. So if Sac State is watching this, you do it better than most schools in the FCS digital-wise. If you keep it up, I mean, people will start seeing what you're doing. The school's trying, which is good to yeah. see. Hey, go win another Big Sky title and at least get to the semifinals and everything will take care of itself. Yeah, after it's that. weird how that happens, right? If you just yeah, win, or, things take care of themselves. 
or or do it like Montana State. Just get to the title. If if you lose to North Dakota State or someone like that, no one's going to fault you. Just get just get to the dance, and I think everything will be all right. But man, so your predictions, man. Give me your winner, and just give me your runner ups in the two and three spot. Yeah. So I have. It's going to be unpopular, but I I have flip flop between this a bunch. If you if we did this tomorrow, this answer could be different. Right now, I'm going with Bobcats. Um, I know that's unpopular. They lose Troy Anderson and Chai Okada. But I think this team is still a Jeff Choate defensive team in the sense that they're going to be able to reload some of those defensive pieces with sophomores, redshirt, freshmen, et cetera, that Jeff Choate had brought into the program. Um, I'm not saying they're going to have Troy Anderson, but it's kind of like Eastern. You can't, you can't reload a Troy Anderson. Uh, however, I think what we said, we are talking about Tommy Millat as one of the best quarterbacks in this conference. He played four games last year. Technically, like, what, yeah, three and a half, 4.1, whatever it is, yeah. got hurt. So it's like, uh, I think that coming back, Isaiah Fonse coming back, the refortifying of the running back room will help the Bobcats. And you bring in Vegan, whose sole responsibility was this is a national title team that can't play offense. Whether it was Bauman or Tucker Rovig, they just weren't efficient offensively. And that seems fixed under vegan. Like, and that's where I give them the slight nod is I think we, nobody's talking about Cam Humphreys or anybody at Montana. Like until they prove their quarterback situation is figured out and they have a guy, I'm going to take Tommy Mallott who did everything in his power to be an all conference quarterback last or this preseason only playing four games while there are some returners around the league. It's not like everybody was wiped out. He beat out guys to be the all-conference guy. So I think when you have a good returning quarterback, a good returning off and uh, running back, and some pieces at offensive line with a guy whose job is offense and offensive line, and then you look at that they still have choke pieces on that defense, so it's not that Vegan has to spend a ton retooling on Troy Anderson or Ty Okada. Like, I, I, I just like the Bobcats' chances a little bit more than the Grizzlies, which means that the Grizzlies are my two. Um, like I said – easily could move up this spot. The Cat Grizz game is in Bozeman this year. I think if you look at their schedules too, Montana State has a lot easier of a conference schedule than Montana, which is why I I also can justify this a bit. Montana has to play a lot of tough games uh, this season where I'm not – the Bobcats don't necessarily have to. Their toughest game is week one of conference season at Eastern Washington. And then obviously at home against Montana to close the season. So after that, they get Davis at home. They get Weaver at home. They're at Northern Colorado. They put the Bengals on the road but, you know, or at home. But it's like they don't have anybody that should challenge them except Montana and Eastern, really, at the beginning of the year. Yes, Weaver, but in Bozeman. So that's where I just go. Their schedule seems a lot more manageable. Where you look at the Montana schedule, and they have Portland State at home. But Portland State has beaten them at home before, which is wild. So has Sack. And then they're at SAC, which we're talking about is a, a good team who has gotten the better of them the last couple of seasons. Um, they're at Weaver, not exactly a tough place or a, a place you want to have to go play, especially October Halloween weekend. Like it's going to be cold in Ogden. And then you host Eastern the week before you go to Bozeman. So I just look at that. And then they play Cal Poly in between Weaver and Eastern, which I'm just like, as my sleeper team, they very well could end the year with at Sac State, at Weber, Cal Poly, 
Eastern and Montana State, which all could be top six teams at the end of the season for the Big Sky, which is why I just think Montana might be the better team. But if we're doing preseason polls or like end of season predictions, I think Montana State wins the title. Montana can probably make a deeper run in the playoffs. But end of the season, who's taking home the championship trophy? I think it's going to be the Bobcats. And then we'll have like a flop of last year where the Grizz beat the Bobcats, but the Bobcats go further in the playoffs. Yeah. I can see the Bobcats beating the Grizz, but the Grizz going further in the playoffs this year. Um, and then I'm, I think UC Davis, I, I'm just high on them. They don't lose a lot of pieces. They have Alonzo Gilliam coming back. They also have quarterback figured out. They've got a new indoor facility. They've had great recruiting. I just am really high on UC Davis to have a better year than they had last year. So that's my, my three. I don't mind it. And I mean, just to make you feel better, Ty, uh, I believe Ty Okada decided to come back. Well, then there we go. Yeah, because um, uh, he's on the 2022 roster on the website. I was about to say, I was like, because I, I, I was talking to him before fall camp, and I was like, I'm pretty sure he, because he used that uh, extra year of eligibility. Well, then, dude, I feel even more even better in this decision. So they're really <laughs> missing better. Troy Anderson and a couple pieces on defense line. Yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. it. Easy it, replaceable. Either way, they lose like nothing. Well, wide receiver but wide receivers yeah a place like montana state are more of a dime a dozen it's the opposite of eastern they're the same but eastern's are really good montana's are like or montana states are just kind of like you know there's a guy who will get open and he'll have really good numbers because <laughs> willie patterson i think was the second leading receiver last season behind mccutcheon so i think I, patterson should be good i believe yeah no okay no it was flopped i'm gonna say the lost a receiver to tarleton state I, I i thought it was from tarleton to montana state but it was flipped i mean for me I think uh, I agree with you to a point on the schedule, but for me, I, I got Montana right now by like a hair, but I agree with you, man. It's so back and forth. Like one day I'm like, ah, oh, man, Tommy Malott's there. They got this, they got that. But then Montana, I'm looking, I'm like, and they arguably have one of the best linebackers in the country in O'Connell. I think they have the best cornerback in the country in Justin Ford. And for me, Marcus Knight coming back is something that I think a lot of people are overlooking too. I mean, that guy – set the world on fire just a few seasons ago. And if he can it's come true. in and if he can offer me 80% of what he gave me two years ago, that, that offense is going to go to another level. And at the quarterback spot, I don't think it's, I will be, I, I will eat my words if this doesn't happen. If Lucas Johnson doesn't take the first snap this season, uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, to me, he is, such a clear-cut favorite in that competition, especially when you look at what he did last season, going eight and one as a starter at San Diego State, had I believe his completion percentage was above sixty percent, had over fourteen hundred yards, twelve touchdowns, only four interceptions, was one of I mean he was one of the top quarterbacks in the Mountain West last season and was one of in my opinion one of the most efficient quarterbacks there. So I I, I really do I, I have faith that if Lucas Johnson can take those first snaps that you're going to see. For the first time in a long time, Montana have a really, really talented quarterback because I think he could do a lot. He he's also he's not a run first quarterback like a Malat or an RJ Martinez, but he can still get out of the pocket and make some plays with his feet too. So I'm putting yeah. a lot of stock in Lucas Johnson and Marcus Knight. But man, I think it's so close between Montana and Montana State at that oh, really definitely. and truly uh and and with the big sky, I think you've you talked about it as well. The the two or three best teams in the conference really haven't won the conference title. The past yeah. two, I mean, when you're looking at it overall, no. like you said, those deep playoff runs would say otherwise. And I think a third team, 
how lean Sac State just because they've returned so much talent from a team who just won the conference last year. Like you said, it's a lot different winning a conference title and competing for that and going to win a national title and compete in the FCS playoffs. Especially in the big sky, right? Because like, yeah. it's not round robin. Yeah. Exactly. Everybody doesn't That's play everybody. Thing. So it's I like, know yeah. there's a, a lot of people who hate that. I've I, I, I noticed that, you know, I'm kind of newer to FCS football on Twitter, at least. And, man, there's some people who are very vocal about uh, the big sky not playing everybody. Well, because it's like, all right, you, you come from like the FBS background, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. like I did with Idaho being at Sunbelt and WAC and everything. And, you know, in those conferences, there's a conference title game. So it's like, yep. it doesn't matter that you're split East, West, North, South leaders, legends, whatever the big 10 did back in the day. Um, yeah. You had if Ohio state, Michigan, or Ohio state and Wisconsin at the top of that division and the Sunbelt, if it happened, you know, Louisiana, or someone, then, yeah. yeah, it's like they meet up against each other. It's like if we split north, south, east, west, whatever, and we had, okay, eastern won the west and Montana won the east, they meet in a title game. We're like, okay, at least we have a title, a conference champion because we had two teams that played their entire division, maybe a sprinkle from the other side, and then they played one another. But here it's like, yeah, Sac State can play the bottom six teams and one team in the four, or like top four, and then – you know, Montana could get everybody in the top six. And then it's like, well, Montana's the better team. They have the tougher schedule. And you're always going to have tougher schedules because homes and aways. But yeah. you add the extra element of who you get to play um, on top of home and aways. Like I said, I think Montana State's schedule is just significantly easier than Montana's. And they have a large overlap of common opponents. It's just home and away. But then you look at teams like Sac State and Eastern, it's just – a little it's a little different this year um which is what and such about predicting the champion because the champion is really the best team in the big sky it, it is tough and you know that kind of leads me to, before we get to idaho to end the show because i know i'll say that for last that way we didn't have to worry about not getting anything in um <laughs> you know the caa there's been a lot of rumors they're up to 15 teams and they're potentially going to add a 16th next season whether that be howard Norfolk or whoever they end up pulling out of somewhere. It could be a big South team again. And they're talking about, you know, kind of petitioning to move their schedule around and having a conference championship game with divisions. If that happens, do you foresee the big sky trying to follow the same model and moving that season up a week and trying to have that conference championship game? So it depends. The major hurdle here is we're assuming the NCAA allows Allows that. Yeah. That's a big, what if, because, because that's the big issue right now. Is that's part of the reason why, like, a SWAC team has issues getting into the um, FCS playoffs. Is like, yeah. yeah, the winner goes to the the celebration bowl. But if you play in a championship game, you're Ill- uneligible for the playoff. So the second place team in the SWAC championship can't come play in the playoffs, even though they missed out on the opportunity to play in the celebration bowl. So we need some NCAA accordance, which if the CAA does it and goes to 16 and creates the first super conference of the C, uh, the FCS, even though I would say the teams are a little bit less super than the size, um, then, yeah, I would say the Big Sky and the Missouri Valley are also large, and I could see both of them kind of look. If, if you got the CAA, the Big Sky, and the Missouri Valley on the same page of, hey, look, we want to move towards conference title games, uh, to be able to determine a true champion, then yes, I think the big sky should, should, would look at it. They, then the question is should, because then yeah. like, 
are you, do you really want, like, if it's, e- I don't know, north-south? Because that, that's the other thing. If you look at a big sky map, um, the north-south would not be fair. You'd have eastern no. Idaho, Montana, Montana State, probably Idaho State versus mm-hmm. Portland. Like, Weber State would win the south every single year unless NAU or, like, say, Cal Poly, I guess Davis. But, like, it's significantly way – it'd be like the SEC West where it'd be really tough in yeah. one division. So then you're saying like, okay, well, what if Montana has a great year, but they lose to a really good sack team in the conference title game? We just saw it last year with Montana State loses a auto bid by losing to Montana the last game of the season, call that a conference title game, and then they end up going to the conference or the national championship. So there is that little bit of like, do you really want, if it's not necessary, your two best teams in your conference to face one another and potentially a week before playoff selection, hurt one of their stocks so preferably i'd like to see a shrink to nine have a 10th like affiliate member seattle u i see you in the whack um as a basketball affiliate then you have 10 for basketball so you have traveling partners i think that'd be perfect and then you have nine football which in the fcs schedule of 11 games means you have eight conference games three out of conference games uh, i think that would be the perfect solution and i i think the big sky has the depth to where if we were to allow the WAC to take a couple teams or whatever, like you could pick any three teams to remove from the big sky and it would still be a strong conference. It's like, yeah, Montana, Montana state are like our Texas, Oklahoma. We would hurt if we lost them, but you do have brands like Eastern. You do have historic brands like Idaho. You do have upstart brands like Sac state, Weber, UC Davis on the climb. Idaho state has a national title. So it's like, you do have teams, NAU, like that has been around forever. So you do have brand names. You'd still be a fine conference. So I would prefer we shrink to nine out of 10 basketball affiliate um, than at a conference game. But Hey, I also don't want to get left behind. If that's the way the sport's moving, then the big sky should absolutely do that. Yeah. Cause I mean, that was a big, you know, thing once, um, you know, the WAC kind of, is on life support right now after you know some decisions. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that changed? They went from like yeah, we're going FBS it, in five seasons to like yeah. we might need to merge with the Sun. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it really and truly. I mean it's to the point now where it would almost be smarter just for those WAC teams to be like, hey Southland, like can we please come back home? Because yeah. I, I just I, I don't see because for me I, I think when you look at geographically the WAC Montana Montana State man that travel would be ridiculous really and truly like if, if you added teams like that. So you're looking at Northern Arizona, I think fits pretty well into what, you know, where the WAC could potentially go. So you could probably grab them. Could you convince, you know, Idaho and Idaho state potentially, because they're probably going to come together. I would imagine it, just looking at it, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But I, I don't, Depends I don't the state see, makes us do for sure. But yeah. And I, I don't see, I mean, which I guess take your pick of the California schools if you wanted. Uh, one yeah. of them, uh, probably maybe UC Davis would probably be your best option there. Yeah, potentially. I, but if I the WAC, if the WAC does have their intentions, right? Of there's three conferences. How I, I'm sure you know this, but for the people that might be listening that don't, the WAC is one of the three conferences that can just declare their FBS because they already had an FBS charter. That's that's the appeal of the Western Athletic Conferences. They were an FBS member. So that's when they're like, oh, we have uh, aspirations of going FBS. And you're like, with this membership, well, maybe not, but they needed football to be able to make that jump. So obviously the long play plan, everybody that understands conference realignment was thinking was 
they're going to add a couple more big schools. Now, I would love if Idaho made a jump to the FBS personally uh, it, under the right situation. We did it once under the wrong situation, ending up in the Sun Belt twice, uh, actually founding member of the Sun Belt Football Conference, which makes zero sense and made even less <laughs> sense when we came back. Yeah. But um, I fear if you talk to Montana State fans, they are entertaining the fact of FBS for a long time. One of the Big Sky Podcast Network, uh, the R&R cat guys, cat cast guys, they were talking about it, like, actually, what are our feelings? Because I remember when we started this, they were anti-FBS, anti-FBS. They have changed their tune a little bit to where they're at least open to entertaining the idea. I don't know if they're still thrilled about it, but they're open to entertaining it. And they say a lot of cat fans are starting to feel that way. Um, so I could see if, if Montana, I've said this to Kyler, like if we did a big reshuffling of the deck with the G5, P5, um, FCS, like what's going to happen. If Idaho is left behind from wherever the two Montana schools go, um, I, I would, it would be a peculiarly peculiar spot to be the Idaho athletic director, because at that point, I mean, we've gone from the point where we were in the original Pac-10 to now playing what would be effectively D2 ball if, you know, it doesn't happen. So I think for Idaho to even entertain the WAC under the assumption that the WAC is trying to go FBS, which I do think the western half of the U.S. needs a second FBS conference other than the Mountain West. Um, if Montana, Montana State were going, I think Idaho would would 100% and 99% go. Um, I'm not sure the WAC is interested is part of the problem. But I do think, like, if you look at the WAC, I know it was Big Sky, but if you look, like, Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, um, I know Sam Houston's moving, but they would probably come back, um, depending, to be more regionally than the Conference USA. But you add those schools, you have New Mexico State come back because they're a longtime WAC member. Um, you have New Mexico State, Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin, Idaho, Montana, Montana State, like that's not a bad, it's it's a bad FBS conference, but it's not a bad yeah. conference in terms of you have natural rivalries. It's not a patchwork conference where it's like Conference USA right now, where you took a bunch of teams with zero history together and just and threw them, them all in a pot together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I would think that's the only way they entertain it. I would love if the Big Sky could move up as a whole, mm-hmm. but they don't have that charter. Because so I think the top half of the Big Sky paired with the top half of the Missouri Valley. I've joked around calling it the snow belt. I think the Big Sky's leadership because Tom Wistershill and Dan Satter are doing an awesome job. And honestly, I love the branding of the Big Sky. I mean, it's it's one of the most socially interactive um, brands and in, in not just the FCS college football as a whole. It's usually ranked yeah. six on School Sparks for social media interactions. Like, they do a fantastic job. I think it would be a great FBS conference, personally. I think they have a lot of good brands, but um, that was a whole tangent from about the top oh, no, you're good. Hey, to, I, I uh, love it, man. Yeah. To, I, I uh, love it. Hey, what, what happened if we all joined the WAC? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I mean, you're right. Cause I was talking, you know, I went to, you know, seven media days this year, just, just that I could make it to. And one of the ones I was, you know, applied to and got approved, but I just couldn't make it to Spokane was the big sky. And I was looking at it. I don't, I mean, the fact that they do a three day event, they have all these different, promotions on social media different like they do it just amazing in terms of like creating involvement and interaction because like you can you can put a lot of posts up but if those posts aren't generating clicks and interactions and and 
talk, I think that's where the Big Sky really excels, in my opinion, looking across the FCS. Because, like, the SOCON has a great history. They got some really good teams. But in terms of social media presence, that conference is atrocious in terms of generating actual interaction on social media, even though the history and the brands, you would figure that they would be pretty good. But they just haven't evolved with the times. But, man, let's get to the final topic here. I know this is a big one for you. Coach Eck coming into Idaho. You guys very active in the transfer portal on the recruiting trail mm-hmm. this year. And I actually, I know I told you this when I was on your show, I didn't, I, a North Dakota state fan hit me up when this hire was made and said, listen, Idaho's going to be a playoff team in, in the next few years. He was like, Eck is legit. He was like, Idaho might've made the most overlooked and impressive hire of the all season. So how do you feel as an Idaho guy about the job he's done thus far and the expectations for Idaho under coach X? So he's done. Oh, I've, I've told a lot of people, cause I've gotten this a lot being kind of a face for the Idaho Vandals. Um, a lot of people have asked me cause Paul Petrino had turned a lot of people off. Like what should we expect this year? Right. And um, what do you think about the coaching hire? And I've said, he has said all the right things. I've gotten to meet him three, three times now. Um, and he, he says all the right things. He has the right energy. And either way, what I've told people is like, if you want to go to a game, expect an entirely different atmosphere from the coaching staff. They're way more accepting. I mean, we, I always make the joke. We went from having a coach who wasn't even on social media to a coach whose wife is famous on social media and is a blogger. I think it's a, a plug. It. It's, yeah. it's football babes. I think, um, babes of football, something like that. She, like, we go from that, they're, like, you know, dropping memes and gifts, like, oh, another big recruiting weekend, you know, their whole thing is time to wake up with a two and then wake, the E is a three, and, like, they're they're making hashtags, they're out there, they're hustling, they're shooting, you know, YouTube shorts and stuff, just talking about, like, oh, you know, we're driving down the Lewis and Grade on our way to Boise, any of you prospects wants to stop by, and, like, they have increased our social media presence, a ton, which we talked about the big sky does a good job. It's cool to see that, especially out of, I mean, he's a young coach, but he's not the youngest coach. He's not, he's, he's not in his thirties. Right. Like right. Um, to see him embrace it, his staff embrace it. He made a very smart hire and bringing in Thomas Ford, former Simon Fraser head coach, whose uh, brother and him run basically one of the largest academies for like seven on seven and everything in the Pacific Northwest out, out of Western Washington in the Seattle area. They get like the UW guys, train train there half of washington any kid that's from the the puget sound area has probably trained with them and gone to uw or wazoo like and so he has that connection still because he still runs it and his brother's still like the ceo or whatever so we're getting some of these recruits out of western washington used to never even bat their eyelashes at us right even when we were fbs we couldn't convince them to come to idaho and now we're getting these kids that are interested he's also brought in the in-state recruiting something that uh, I liked that Paul kept us a national recruiting, like an FBS school. We still, he's, he's from Montana, but he, Arkansas and everything, he was recruiting heavily. Some of our best players are from Illinois, Florida, Georgia, um, Missouri. So he had done Arkansas, like he had basically recruited like he was still at Arkansas and doing SEC recruiting. So it was weird when like, yeah, you got a bunch of running backs from Florida and yeah, they're super good. But then they get to Moscow, it snows, they're playing in a dome, it's not SEC country, they're far away from their family. Not all of them stay the whole time. Uh, where I think Eck, he's brought it up like, at this level, you don't need to be recruiting FBS or NFL draft caliber guys. You need to build guys or recruit guys 
who could be. So he's like, don't be afraid to take the 6'6", 200-pound uh, right tackle when he looks like he could add 100 pounds onto his frame, and then you have a 6'6", 300-pound right tackle, right? So he was like, it's more about development, and we've seen that uh, under, under X so far. So I, I'm very excited where the program is. I know a lot of players were weighing the option of transferring because it's always stressful when a new coach comes in. And we've only lost a handful of them. And of those, not many were scholarship athletes. Some of them left like natural attrition due to wanting to go play either at a lower FCS or a D2, D3, or just give up football altogether um, and transfer to, you know, an Ivy League school or something to do academics. Uh, so that's been really, really cool to see. That said, we're doing – he likes to run like 22 personnel. Like he likes tight ends. He likes running backs. Yeah. We, we are set at running back uh, ever since Deion Watson and Buck Buchanan. We really haven't had a ton of tight end production. So um, he has to retool this roster a bit there. It, it's not built the way that he needs it built to be successful in year one. He was a late hire because we were waiting to, announced the hire until he had been removed from the playoffs. So Montana state, thank you for speeding that process up. Um, so he didn't get a full recruiting season. And so you're seeing it a lot. I think we have 15 recruits already signed up for next season's class before the season has even started. So like he has hit the recruiting trail hard since getting there, but didn't have time to get these guys in there eligible pre we had some transfers in and we talked about it. I actually yeah. saw two of them. I went to USC Notre Dame last year and, both of them played in that game, and both of them are on Idaho now, which is crazy uh, that we got USC and Notre Dame guys that aren't just whatever, right? They played, <laughs> yeah, that, like, and, and they played in a huge like, rivalry have, game. Yeah, like you don't you don't sad. put your second, yeah, you don't put your second stringers out in that game. So um, that was cool to see. It's not just that FBS transfer like that's coming down because they're not getting playing time. It's a lot like our our lead linebacker Fave Fave transferred from Wazoo because. He just didn't like Mike Leach is what we heard. Um, but he was a guy That's who played. Surprising. So, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a cup of tea guy for sure. You, if you, you like his cup of tea, then you're fine with him. If not, you're not. Yeah, exactly. um, so I, I have a lot of expectations for Eck. This year I've told a lot of people pump the brakes because, like I mentioned, like the, this roster is not built for him to win right away. I'm not saying he won't, but I tell people to expect – a similar win total to what we were having under Paul, but see a team that fights harder, seems more involved, seems more athletically gifted, seems better trained and keeps cooler heads. Like I think this staff is young. They've resonated. They brought in one of our all-time greats and Matt Linehan to come back and he's brought some energy. So you do get a little bit of that Paul, like the good parts of Paul, hopefully, because he gets a lot of crap, but at the same time, he has one of our highest win totals in a season out of any Vandal coach in the last 20 years. So like there were some good parts of the Petrino era. Um, and hopefully Linehan has both parts from his dad and him being the Erickson and his Eric. So uh, hopefully it, it's a good team. I expect this to be probably, like I said, I'm big on year threes year three. I think this could be a team that possibly pushes for a conference title year two. Maybe it's a fringe playoff team this year. I expect playoff spoiler role. Um, I know a lot of people are picking us like eighth or ninth. I have the utmost confidence we could finish fifth or sixth, honestly. I doubt fifth because that would mean that the rest of this guy fell apart because I don't think we're yeah. a playoff team this year. Um, but I really do think they could be that sixth team in, in the in the conference. And 
they do have a lot of their games, you know, it, it, a favorable schedule as it were. I mean, it's not great, but like other than traveling to Montana, like you get Eastern at home, which Eastern hasn't beaten us in the Kibbe Dome since like 2011. So you're looking at, you know, 11 years, which Eastern has been good and we have not been good in that time. So uh, I have the utmost confidence this team will probably win four to five games. Uh, five and six varies likely on the table. But I think you're just going to see a team that next year, I expect a lot of people to probably list as their sleeper and possibly move into that top five or six in the preseason poll next year. And one of the biggest additions before we before we wrap up the show was Gibbs at the quarterback spot, former yes. South Dakota State quarterback. Is is he the lot for starter, or do you feel like it might be next season when like we really see him kind of take take that spot as the guy for Idaho? So Idaho has had a problem, much like Isaiah Fonse, at the quarterback position in health for a while. We talked about it. 2016, I believe, was the last year we had one quarterback play every single game. Um, Matt Linehan got hurt his senior year. Then we were flip-flopping between Colton Richardson, Mason Petrino. And last year, Bo, or last two years, Beaudry gets hurt. We played some C.J. Jordan. We ended up having to play freshman Giovanni McCoy. So we have had no stability at the quarterback position. I think if he can stay healthy, that's exactly what Jabori Gibbs is. I mean, he brought him in for a reason. Jabori Gibbs was probably not going to beat out the young, talented Mark Ganowski at South Dakota State, even though he might be as good, if not a better quarterback, but South Dakota State at this point is committed to Gronowski because he gives them more in terms of the future. Gibbs is a redshirt junior, so you still get two years out of him. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence he picked Eck. I'm sure he had a couple different offers, but I think he knows. Eck knows what he's about. He was good in the Eck system. And I, I think he was brought in for a particular reason. And part of that being none of the other quarterbacks really impressed in the spring. The quarterbacks have been um, a question mark for a while. Uh, Ridge, uh, Doskow, who was a three-star top recruit we brought in, or second, I think Bogans beat him out at tight end to show building up the tight end depth, but they're going to be freshmen. Um, he's either our top or second top recruit and was like top five in the entire conference in terms of 247 sports. Looks like a freshman. Ty Webb, uh, athletic, needs some refining. Uh, Giovanni McCoy, a lot of upside. Need some refining. The guy who I think can push in the most is probably going to be C.J. Jordan. He was part of that Union High School and Camas teams we talked about earlier when talking about Portland State. Um, and we only got him because he had a bad injury his senior year, but he had offers to Louisville and everybody. And um, You talk to people that know the big sky, a lot of them think C.J. Jordan can be that guy. Um, so it's definitely between Jordan and Gibbs. I think the only issue is Jordan's also had two seasons in – has only played a handful of games because he also has had the injury bug. So um, you got two quarterbacks right now in a program that has had history over the last eight years with quarterback injuries, two starter potential starters that have injury history. So I wouldn't be shocked if Giovanni McCoy is the guy who's taking a lot of snaps midseason. But I'll say as a Vandal fan, I feel absolutely confident in Gibbs and Jordan. If either of them get the nod, Gibbs will probably get it because I think he is an act guy. Um, but Jordan is still young, so I hope he would might, you know, ride it out because, I mean, that's a guy I, I really think has a ton of upside. Um, so we'll see. We have an interesting quarterback battle for sure. But I, on my, if you were asking, feet to the fire, Gibbs is probably starting week one versus Wazoo. 
I, th- I think if it was, like you said, there's a lot of external factors. If it was just based off talent, I really do like Gibbs. I think he has all the makings of a guy who you would want, I, I would say, as you're trying to rebuild a program, because it allows you to have some stability at the quarterback spot, which is one of the hardest positions to find that stability and allow you to kind of work out the kinks elsewhere on the team as you try to build up the talent, build that culture. So I think I think landing Gibbs was one of the biggest things, I think, for Eck as he took that job at Idaho. Man, I'm excited. I know me and you talked on your show that Idaho, I think, has a really bright future. And there's a lot of fans who are familiar with Eck, familiar with Gibbs, and kind of what's going on in that program that are also – I would say they're excited right now while you guys might not be a threat to them. But once you guys become a threat, I don't know if they're going to be as excited for you guys. We get a lot of people, especially in the big sky country, that are like, yeah, we just want Idaho to be good because it's good for the big sky. And I agree with you. I I know our fan base, and we're going to be like Montana shortly where people are just fed up with us uh, because we do already get on the nerves of some people, and we have nothing (laughs) to get on the nerves about, but we somehow can pull it off. Um, So I know a lot of people want us to be good because – good Idaho is good for the FCS. It's good for Big Sky. Um, but yeah, the, the whole unofficial saying around Idaho right now is, if you know, you know. Um, and that is exactly kind of what you're talking about. The people that know, you know Jabori Gibbs came here, that Jason Nett came here. He's been the offensive coordinator for South Dakota State. Part of the reason I actually have South Dakota State not ranked number two, I think that's a little bit maybe me being biased towards Zach a lot to replace and our offense like we took most of their offensive staff so like you mm-hmm. want to see what Idaho's going to look like look at South Dakota State in a couple of years and like I said he likes tight ends he got Chance Bogan who's one of the biggest re- recruits that we've ever landed um, out of Tacoma Washington because of guys that he's hired like Tom Ford who had, just is plugged into recruiting and I, I'm very high and I, like they say if you know you know Hey, it's easy to recruit tight ends when you can point to the guy like Tucker Craft and be like, look, look at what we can do and what Dallas we Goddard. can develop. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the list the list of tight ends from like South Dakota State are, is, is long right I, now. I so. will say I love Jason Eck, but sometimes like, hey, it's marketing. And, you know, my I went to school for marketing. Uh, I love him sometimes, but sometimes I'm like, man, that is kind of a lot. Like he was talking about how <laughs> if you come to Idaho as a running back, you could be the next. Uh, strong and I'm just like oh, Pierre, well yeah. I mean maybe about, yeah <laughs> a fourth round pick who is might see some carries for the Patriots is a strong yeah. like or like Isaiah he, Davis he, he took like credit for him during the draft he's like that's my running back and like oh well it's South Dakota State's running back and you were yeah yeah I mean your system sure yeah it's not yeah. a lie like he's not lying I was just like you sell that point and get us some running backs I'm not gonna complain but Sometimes any he stuff that makes you chuckle because he'll he'll claim Goddard, he'll claim Kraft, he'll claim Strong. Like he'll definitely claim the South Dakota State successes. Um, hey, but if it helps us win, I'm all here for it. Hey, if you guys can get an offensive line like South Dakota State has too, I, I, I'm sure Idaho fans would be all about that. Because as a former O lineman, anytime I hear how great a running back is, I'm like. Show me the offensive line. And there's three All-Americans and I think four All-Conference guys on that offensive line that pretty good. Mason McCormick is probably going to be a draft pick this year. So, yeah. and, uh, and I'll just say, if if we if he does any little bit – I know that's the issue with our offensive line. Not a lot of depth behind it. If we have one injury, we're looking a little rough. Um, but, man, like, if you want an underrated position group to look at around the country, it's, it's Idaho's running backs. Um, you have a – 
I think he was an All-American as a freshman, Nick Romano, as a kick returner, but he's a kid who's absolutely electric. You have Andre Carter, who last year was like 260 pounds. Have you ever seen the photo of him putting the Eastern Washington guy in the disco mode on the turf? Um, that was him. I mean, he's a big guy to bring down. He slimmed down, actually, but supposed to still have that power. Roshan Johnson was an honorable mention or was mentioned as a Big Sky Conference um, All-American from Hero Sports last year. They bring in guys like Anthony Woods, Elijah Cummings, who is just a phenomenal freshman. Well, he's going to be a sophomore, true sophomore out of Waco, Texas. Like, this is a running back room that has four absolute studs at the position. So it's like, yeah, we don't have an Isaiah Fonse, but, like, we have, like, four Marcus Knights. So <laughs> I'm just – I'm not trying to, like, I think our best returning position group is by far our running back room. And I hope by the end of the season they prove me right. And, man, if we can get a little bit of offensive help with this X system, I, I, I expect a lot out of those running backs. So I'll say for, for anyone watching this who's not an Idaho person, um, just keep an eye on the running backs at Idaho. I expect huge stat boosts from them. And, I mean, a running back is just going to be such – like, a, as a guy who is picking, you know, some of the awards and, like, we got our own All-American list, running back, I'm just terrified. I'm dreading trying to pick, like, the top four, five, six running backs to put on All-American teams. I mean, you have so many good ones. Like you mentioned, Idaho has four guys who could come out. Marcus Knight at Montana's coming back. I, if, if Zay Davis at South Dakota State has a full year healthy, just imagine the stats that he can put up. A guy like Go Josh ahead. Davis, like yeah. a guy at Weber who was so good his freshman year and has dealt with his own share of injuries. But like, if he gets even remotely back to how he was as a freshman, like we're talking about Josh Davis was offensive player of the year uh, at Weber State like two seasons ago and has fallen off. And they found some depth behind him. Like you're talking, even Weber State has depth at running back. Like it's Alonzo Gilliam, Elijah Dotson. Like even in the Big Sky, you have guys that are all American caliber, and some of them are like committee running back by committee guys, which is yeah. crazy because you put them on Youngstown State, you know, and they could all be individual starters. Or I'll just keep shitting on Western Illinois. If you put them on Western Illinois. I guarantee our four running backs would start at Western Illinois. I was like, you can't dis you can't disrespect my guy Jaleel like that, man. Youngstown State, they might not have a lot. They got a running back. Jaleel McLaughlin's yeah. my guy. And I mean, I think you can see that with like ETSU. Like um yeah. Sailors won the offensive player of the year this preseason and didn't even start for his team last yeah. year because of Quay Holmes. I mean, it, it it's so loaded, and that's not even including you know, a guy like JJ Davis over at Norfolk State, who was a true freshman and Burst onto the scenes. Um, the kid at uh, Sacred Heart, Malik Grant, as well, just yeah. got done. I believe he was one of the top running backs in the country. Isaiah Fonzi, when he gets healthy. And then we know what Southern North Dakota Illinois State is going to have. I forget his name, Williams or whatever. Oh, uh, I think it's Javante, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Javante Williams, I believe. Yeah. And um, like he's going to be a beast again. This, and then this division to back at running back. It's crazy we have such yeah. high block offenses when, like, arguably, we, we're, we're a deep division at at running back. That's why I don't complain when none of these guys make all American lists and like as by committee, but like if they had to be every down backs, I they like could. their odds. Yeah. <laughs> but why now, would like, you get you, one of them at when you've got four of them, right? <laughs> it, exactly. And now, I mean, even Kevin Daniels at um, NAU too uh, is a stud. I mean, he was one of the preseason all yeah. conference guys and, on my uh, list. And they even have that, uh, God, I can't think of his name. They have another good running back at NAU. Yeah. It, I, oh, man. Uh, 
Yeah, you caught me off guard on that one. I don't remember what yeah. his name is, but I mean, listen, we can go through the all. Top the I mean, yeah, I mean, there's like, like I talked to Sam Herter, and I was like, man, I don't know how you put together a list of 25 running backs, and he was like, man, well, I could have made a list of like 40. I mean, they're just that many good ones. I think D line two this year is another position where, especially edge, where you can have a whole list of guys yeah. who are going to go out there and ball out. I mean, Isaiah Lance coming back. Brevin Allen, the list goes on and on there. But, man, Chris, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Almost an hour and a half of Big Sky football here, man. So, shout out to you. We're definitely going to have you on during the season to preview some games, talk some big storylines throughout the year, man. But, once again, plug yourself, plug your show, man. Let them know where they can find you. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. I'm very active on there, at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond. For those on YouTube, right there in front of you. For those of you listening, there you go, spelling. Um I also run a show called The Football Chris Show, a.k.a. the FCS, on FCS Fans Nation. Uh, so you can check me out there. Probably will transition a little bit more Big Sky-centric. So if you like this as the season goes on, because it is my team is in there, it is what I tend to pay attention to a little bit more. Um, but that said, I, I am going to try to keep a national landscape this year, challenge myself doing previews for almost all the FCS conferences. So I should be pretty well-versed in every team, all 130 of y'all before the end of the season. So if anyone's watching this, not a big sky guy, I, I, I should have you covered. Um, if you ever get tired of hearing Zach talk or you just want more info, um, <laughs> that, you know, make me your number two. <laughs> hey, nah, man, you got definitely one, a and one a man, the, the guys over at FCS fan nation, man, listen, they got so many great podcasts. I mean, from Eastern Washington to Montana to national podcast. I mean, they, and they just who you guys just added the Montana podcast right like just a few days ago. Yep. Uh, yeah. Just uh, today's official. So yeah. yeah so it's, uh, fight on Montana. Um, longtime page member. Uh, if you need a deep dive into Montana and Montana athletics, that's that's your guy. But uh, just a side as a as this is a, a, unaffiliated to the FCS fans nation. I will also <laughs> plug the Big Sky Podcast Network. Fight on Montana does yeah. a great job, but. We also, at that level, which is something I'm a part of, you've got Idaho. You've got, I believe they're working on Idaho State. They've got Sac State in the works. They've got Weber. They've got Eastern. They've got, uh, you know, every single, I think we're down to only needing four schools for a podcast. So, got Big Sky Podcast on Twitter if you like the Big Sky content. They also, hopefully, will be doing an Around the Horn style show called Big Sky Big Takes, like we do every year. Um, I've been... I've stepped away a bit from that, but uh, it's another fantastic show. So if you like Big Sky, Big Sky Big Takes at the Big Sky Podcast Network, there's a podcast for literally everything in the Big Sky. So like I say, I joke, we're the SEC of the FCS, and people go, well, you know, win titles. I go, no, but in fan support, we are. <laughs> like we have every school from top to bottom has people that basically care. Um, and that's, that's, that's what it is. Sixth in social interactions. People care about this conference, this badge this badge. So I, I'm, I'm a fan of it. So uh, hey, man. plug to those guys, but I appreciate all the plugs. I'm done now. I'm done. Hey man, absolutely guys. Uh, the FCS fan nation channel will be linked in the description below and their Facebook group, man. If you're all about, he's got the mug there. If you're all about Facebook interaction, you want the most up-to-date content, um, a community to kind of go back and forth on FCS stuff in the Facebook group, a one, one of the the best. I'll say that I I'm not gonna even try to try to lie. The the best FCS community on Facebook for sure. But guys, Chris will be on the show again soon. But for Chris, myself, and the Blue Bloods guys, we are out for right.